excited. Last week we started a series on the book of Ephesians called Transform. Now, I talked about this last week, and if you missed last week's sermon, it's on Facebook, video, or on our podcast, on our website, jesuschurch.life. But the name of Transformed, a lot of times you would think, especially with a new series in a new year, that Transformed would mean that you need to be transformed. But that's not at all what it means. Uh, What Paul tells us in the book of Ephesians, the um, inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is that we have already been transformed. Uh, that he has transformed us. And my prayer is that as a church, that we would commit to living more consistently with the transformed state that we are supposed to be living in and that we truly are. And there are times where you and I, we won't act transformed or we won't act or we won't think or, or, or live like we're transformed. But the truth is that we truly have been transformed because the Bible says that if you follow Jesus, you are a new Creation, that old things have passed away, that new things have come. And our job is to consistently remind ourselves, as the Bible consistently tells us, that we are a new creation in Christ Jesus. That you are not the old you, that you are the new you. And even though sometimes we fall back into the ideas of who we used to be, that is not who you are. And that is not how God sees you. You are a new creation in Christ Jesus. And I believe in 2017 that that is what we need to believe and grasp with all of our hearts. That who we have, what we have, and whose we are. And I believe when we can walk in that over the next eight weeks and and start to change our minds, that we will find ourselves living in an amazing, free, blessed place um, by the grace of God. So this morning we're in Ephesians chapter 1. Last week we went through verses a whole whopping 1 through 3. This week we're going to finish off the rest of chapter 1. Uh, so if you would read along as I, as I read out loud. This is what it says. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Uh, we touched on that last week. Every spiritual blessing. Thank God. God for God. Um, Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his pur- the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that he, w- he who, we who are the first fr- fruit of the hope in Christ might, may, <laughs> sorry, might be to the praise of his glory. All right, let's skip the next few verses. Go to verse 15. This is what it says. For this reason, because I have heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus, your faith in the Lord Jesus, and your love towards all the saints, I I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. 
that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened. I love that another, um, another version says the heart of your understanding would be enlightened. It's so beautiful. That you may know what is the hope of your call, uh, he has called you, um, which are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might in which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly places. Last week we talked about how when you are seated, it means that you are finished, and Jesus doesn't have to get back up. Because he has saved us, he has sat down, which shows that he is finished with what he did. And when you mess up, he doesn't have to get back up and get crucified again. That's the power of the gospel, that it covered all of your sins, not just the ones that you're going to commit today or yesterday. He has, his blood has covered all of your sins. He has broken sin and death in every single one of our lives. Um, praise God. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion in every name, and above every name that is named, not in, only in this age, but also in the age to come. And he has put all, all things under his feet and given him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So this morning I want to talk to you uh, just from this area and this idea of being transformed in the idea of what is Paul saying here and how do we live transformed? But let's start with prayer. God, we thank you so much for this morning. We come expectant for the things that you have for us. God, um, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is true, that it is right on for us today, Lord, that today you have something for every single one of us that we will be transformed by your word, Lord, but that we will become more the, the image of your son that you have already created us, Jesus. So we believe these things and we ask them in your name. Everyone's said amen. amen if you're a parent could uh, you raise your hands real fast if anyone you're a parent here um if you have a dog or no not a cat they're not animals. no they're not people um i've almost been a parent for a decade now uh, i've raised two children and um luckily that's all we're gonna have we had a boy and a girl and I was very grateful that we had a boy and the girl because then you get into the, oh, we have two boys, let's try for a girl. Oh, it's another girl. Oh, why don't we just have seven kids? Um, <laughs> but I love my kids. And, and uh, as a father, I have started to realize that I've become desensitized in, in a certain area. And it's not something to be proud of. I think it's more of a survival mechanism than, than anything else. And it's somewhat alarming to me, but I can't hear my children anymore. <laughs> like... I don't know what it is. They literally have become white noise in my life, I, which is terrible to say. Don't judge me, all right? Like, it, it might sound bad, but it's like they, they just blend into in the surroundings, and, and it's this gift, and I don't know if it's a gift from God or from the other place. I say God. My wife says it's from the other place. <laughs> she's like, do you not hear? I'm like, hear what? And she's like, ah. Uh, but literally, it's this, this thing, and, and I don't hear my kids. My son could be like, dad, 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 and I don't hear him. Like, it just doesn't compute. And um, like somebody, they like have their kids over at house, and they're like, oh, I'm so sorry. My kids are so loud. I'm like, what you have kids like really like like i don't hear it don't doesn't doesn't bug me at all um but i've learned to 
block out this pitch noise. So one time, a couple weeks ago, my son, he was trying to talk to me and desperate to have me listen to him. And I feel so bad about this. I'm glad you guys weren't there because you feel, you'd be thinking I'm such an irresponsible parent. But, um, but whatever. I'm doing better. 2017. I'm going to be a more attentive father. But like on the 23rd time, he's like, Dad! And I'm like, whoa, whoa. Okay, what, what's going on? And he once got my attention just goes straight, like without taking a breath. I thought he was going to faint, but just telling me all this stuff about all these things that he liked and turtles and animals and random facts that he heard on YouTube or or something like that. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, son, Joey, slow down. I'm going to be here for your whole life. That's the, that's the goal. That's the, the plan. And it was just like, he, he was so excited to tell me something because he didn't know, like, am I going to get your attention again? Are you, are you going to like zone out? Or and I'm like, no, I love you. I'm sorry. I'll be a better dad. Um, but, but he just had this passion and, and this like this speed and almost a desperation to, to tell me all these things where he didn't stop. He didn't, there were no periods in his sentences. It was just one big long run on sentence. And you might be asking like, how in the world does this have anything to do with the book of Ephesians? And that's a good question. Um, but if you look at the beginning of the book of Ephesians, uh, these verses three through 14, uh, it's sort of like my son, uh, blurting out all of that information and the beginning of Ephesians, it's actually different than any other letter that Paul writes in that it's this passionate breathless barrage of information, of praise, of declaration, of revelation of all that God's done for the all believers, but specifically for the people of Ephesians. And if you look at the Greek, there's actually, this is a giant um, run-on sentence. Verses 3 through 14 is one sentence. There are no periods whatsoever. It's the probably the longest sentence in ancient literature. Even in the, in the English translation, there's 38 commas and 7 periods in all of those verses, which is amazing. In, in Greek, there's no periods. It's just, I mean, it's just straight. And uh, so Paul, he just comes out swinging. He's just going for it with everything he has right from the very beginning, which is unique only to this book. And so you've got to ask the question, why is Paul driving to these points? Why is he writing this way differently than any of the other apostles that, or any of the other epistles that he wrote? And, uh, and I think the, the answer is Paul knows that God has such big plans for these people. And remember, this is around 60 AD. The church is now, it's thriving. It's, it's growing. It's healthy. It's great. It's nowhere near what it's going to be. Um, but Paul's going to come there. He hasn't actually been to the church yet, but he's going to come there for three years. Apollo starts the church. Paul's going to come for three years. Then he's going to bring in his star pupil, Timothy. Timothy's going to take over. It's going to explode. It's going to be a launching place for the gospel into all of Asia. And looking at this chapter and the book as a whole, in 2017, you know, Ephesians, it's not, it was for the Ephesians, but right now the, the people of Ephesus, they don't need it so much. They're not here anymore. But I wonder if it's for us now and the same way that it was for him. And looking at the similarities uh, between Ephesus and, and Phoenix and the culture and, and the diversity in culture, uh, I think maybe the same passion that God had in trying to um, portray um, the urgency of this letter to the people of Ephesus is the same way that he's trying to um, bring it to us. Maybe God's trying to get our attention the same way that he was getting 
their attention. And going back into the history again, these are newly saved Christians. These are not Jews who already had a background in God and Yahweh and Elohim. Uh, these are newly saved Christians, and they just gotten out of the occult of um, mysticism and worship of the goddess Diana, who um, was full of terror and fear. And if you didn't do things right, or if you didn't worship enough or give enough or do the acts that she was calling you to do, then your life would be cursed. And then you would go through sickness and disease and pain and suffering all because you didn't quite do things in the way that this goddess has, um, has asked you or commanded you to do. And then Apollos comes in and, and he founds this church and he's preaching the exact opposite on freedom and the stability of Jesus where the goddesses and the gods of, of ancient uh, literature, they were so like, if I wake up on the wrong side of the bed, then I'm going to stamp you out of life. And, and Jesus is such a, a, a picture of stability. So you've got Diana on one side, who's fear, who's sickness, who's wrath. And then you have Jesus on the other side, love, security, and grace. Uh, I'll take Jesus. Thank you very much. Um, and the Christians there, the people of Ephesus that have been converted, they're probably thinking, wow, this is awesome. Like, I totally love this idea. No more fear, tons of love. And it was very um, self-beneficial for the people. Like, this is good for my life. And, and the people and what Paul is trying to convey in the passion is really that you've been saved, but now it's not just about you. Yes, God has done a lot of things and he's freed you for a lot, from a lot of things, but, but God is now wanting to work through you to reach more people. That God just isn't here to, to protect you or to give you peace, which he absolutely is here to do, but he wants you to be carriers of the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world and the spheres and the influence areas that you live in and to your neighborhoods and to your, your families. That's what he's saying. And I think similar, similarly that God's trying to get our attention in the same way he was trying to get their attention, that we can enjoy the blessings and the peace of Jesus. And I highly recommend that we continue doing that. But I wonder if the same passion that Paul had is the same passion that he's calling us to where, where it's this huge long run-on sentence with the desire to invoke us into called, being called to tell the world about him, about God, about Jesus, that we are part of something that is much, much larger than what our own lives are, or the fact that, that we get to not be, live in fear or uncertainty anymore, that, it, that it's more God's plan and we get to be a part of it. And then going into verse 15, uh, this is where he actually takes a breath. Like Paul, I see him as um, just taking a big breath at the end of verse 15 and, or 14. And then verse 15 and 16, it says, For this reason, for this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Now, Paul obviously is a very devout, founded Jew. And, and so he would pray morning, noon, and night. And what Paul is saying here is that every time I pray, which is consistently, I thank God for you and what he's doing in Ephesus. Um, I thank God for the great evidence of his faithfulness towards you and the ministry and the fruit of my labor. And um, I think a lot like that, um, 
I see our church, and I, I thank God for, for you guys, and, and I thank God for what he's doing here in, in our church, and the doors that he's truly opening for us, and the people that we've been able to reach with the gospel, and the understanding of the truth of who Jesus really is, and the ex- expansion that, that he's given us, and the borders that he's expanding, and the influence that he's allowing us to walk in through into. And, and so I see these similarities. And then in verse 17, we finally find out what Paul is praying for towards these people. And when you look at Paul, it's really about a response, uh, a response in prayer of praise and worship. And it says, for this reason, I give thanks. And so what Paul's telling us here is that uh, this is an act of thanksgiving. He's giving us a, a, a reason and a way to pray that I pray in thanksgiving, that it's not some obligation or something that I'm just forced to do in the name of devotion. But he goes on to what he's praying about. And, you know, if you, you don't think you know how to pray, um, you do. You, you do know how to pray. If you know how to say the words thank you or wow or that's amazing, then, then you know how to pray because you can give thanksgiving to God. And I love because Paul, he really uses prayer in a way that I think a lot of times we don't think to use it. He uses it in a way to gain access into these people's lives. So the very beginning of the book, he's accessing these people's lives who he doesn't even truly know. But he says, I, I, I'm praying for you and I know you because of prayer. And if there's one thing I know about prayer, it is the single best way to build a bridge into somebody else's life. And a lot of times, they don't even have to know about it. You start praying for somebody. Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's your boss. Maybe it's your neighbor. Maybe it's a friend of yours. And, and you are praying for them. It will build a bridge. And they might not even know it. They might not even know that you're praying for them. But it will build a bridge into, your, into their life spiritually and supernaturally you will be connected to them and there will be avenues for you to now minister to them um, in the future and and that's just such an amazing thing about prayer and how paul starts to saying i'm praying for you like i i I give thanks for you i'm so excited about what god's doing maybe before we share the gospel with somebody we should start praying that god has created them that god loves them Maybe we should found our, our words with prayers. And we should build a bridge that way before we go and start telling them about Jesus. Let's pray for their lives and their hearts to be open and their minds to be open. And, and so Paul, he's saying, I pray for you. And, and these people are probably like, wow, he cares enough to pray for me? Maybe I should pay attention. Maybe I should listen to what he says. And then in verse 17, it says, remembering you in our prayers... That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Now this sounds good. Like, awesome. Wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. And that's great. But to me, like, when I'm thinking of Ephesus and the world that they were living in, I don't know. It's not really the, the most encouraging prayer that I've ever heard. I mean... Paul's got six chapters here. Uh, This is one letter that's going to these people. And he probably won't be able to be with them for a while. And and then he says wisdom and knowledge. 
Like, to me, that's not exactly what I would say. Like, if I were to give you a text message and I knew you were going through some struggles, you got um, fired from your job and your marriage was on the rocks and uh, you didn't have enough money and you were really struggling. And I sent you a text on Sunday morning and when I was praying for you before church, I said, hey, um, I was just praying for you this morning and I prayed for wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. You'd be like, oh, okay, cool. Thanks, pastor. Like, that's great. Um, But wouldn't you rather have, (laughs) I don't know, maybe it's just me, but wouldn't you rather have like, hey, I prayed that you would get another job (laughs) or that your marriage would be founded and strong again and I'm praying for God's will in your life and and that you will be promoted in in, in a new job that you're going to have? I mean, I don't know. Like, that seems like a more specific uh, individual prayer for the issues that you're going through. And if you consider the the um, conditions living in, a, in Ephesus, I mean, Paul could have prayed so many different things, like a pray against disease or poverty or pressure from worshiping Diana again. I'm praying that you would resist temptation because everyone around you is trying to excommunicate you because of what you now believe in. I mean, these are prayers that are very specific and individual. And and, I mean, there was disease rampant because of the, the sexual stuff that they were making people do in the temples. I mean, there are so many different things that could have happened. Paul, if you're going to get sent a text, make it count. All right. Like get specific for these people and tell them what they need to hear. But instead of addressing individual circumstances, Paul prays that they would know God more. Interesting. And then this idea of knowledge is strange in itself because you think of knowledge. And do we really want more knowledge? The Bible says that knowledge puffs up, right? As like that knowledge makes you walk into the room and just talk about yourself the whole day. And you become that guy at the party or that girl at the party. And you think you know more than everyone else. And Paul says, I pray that you would grow in knowledge. And, and so, gosh, what is, that can't mean like head knowledge, right? It can't mean like I know more scriptures about God, or I know all the omnis now about God, and, and I can quote all of these scriptures, or I can memorize all the books in the Bible to this cool tune. And, and none of that's bad. I mean, all of that's noble, but that's not really what Paul's saying here. It's not what Paul's praying. The word knowledge, what he's really um, coming to the point of, it's a profound, deep awareness of God. That God is actively involved in our lives. That God is personally invested in our future. God is saying, Paul is saying here, I pray that you will experience God. Not that you would know more about him, even though that's good. Not that you would have all of your facts in a row or, or, or more of this head knowledge, which is great. But he's saying, I want you to know God. I want you to know his essence his essence it talks about that with moses and we've talked about that before where 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 moses says i want to know who you are who are you and and in the hebrew he's saying i want to know what you are not who you are but but what you are what you are all about and when you start to understand what paul is trying to get across through the people of ephesus here it really starts to make sense that he wouldn't focus on circumstances but that he would focus on a general or, uh, understanding more of who God is. Um, have you ever noticed that when your circumstances improve, 
uh, it's not always the most inspiring thing for your relationship with God. Like, I, I'll explain what I mean. Like, things are going good. Everything's happy in life. You've got enough money. You've got a good job. Your marriage is going well. Sometimes I've noticed in my life when things are going well, um, my prayer life starts to die off a little bit. I'm not quite so desperate. Maybe I'm not going to read the Bible as much because I'm so busy because I've been so successful in my job. And, and I don't rely on him as much daily. And, and it also can dangerously lead to an indifference. Like you look and, and for instance, I was trying to figure out what would be a great um, illustration of people who are desperate because things are going terribly wrong. And the only thing I could really think of was the Cardinals this year. And um, I'm sure most of you have been praying more than normal for, for what's going on with the Cardinals. And then we have these annoying Cowboys fans that probably don't pray at all right now, which is super annoying. Uh, yesterday, I started praying a whole lot more and went into mourning for a while because of the Seahawks game. Um, but, I mean, think about it. When, when I ask somebody to church... And I ask them to come to church. Usually the reason that people say no is because, you know what, um, I'm so busy and I've got so many things going on and, and everything seems to be clicking. Business is booming. And that's the response I get. I just, I don't really have time to go with you to church. Sundays is like the only day that I get off. And so I, I can't really do it. But um, on the other hand, if I ask somebody to church or I'm talking to somebody in my neighborhood and they're going through struggles with their, with their spouse or their kids are not um, wanting to follow God or going through really hard times, then they're like, yeah, I need some answers. I, I got to come to church. Everything seems like it's spinning out of control. And, and what Paul's saying here is we have to, in our prayer life or, or in our relationship with God, we have to transcend all this circumstantial stuff. That Paul's saying when you pray, pray to prepare for all of life's circumstances. Like if you have no deep awareness of God, what happens is circumstances improve and you become indifferent. Or if circumstances worsen, you, it causes despair. But if you have awareness of God, whether your circumstances go up or they go down, you're prepared to endure no matter what. And when that starts to click, you understand, okay, God is actively involved in my life. He's there no matter what, when things go bad or things go, go good. And so if he's always there and I always have this awareness of him, his presence in my life, then gosh, I can weather any storm. And my circumstances and the things I pray for are more about who he is and, and understanding him more, knowing him more on a personal level than just trying to put a band-aid on the, the things that are thrown at me in this world. And so he says... Uh, I pray that you would have this knowledge, this understanding of God. And even Paul's understanding as a Hebrew scholar, um, this word knowledge in the Old Testament, Paul would have known that the word knowledge is always mentioned um, in line with the idea of obedience. Obedience was always close um, behind when the word knowledge was given. And and the thought here that Paul would have had is if you are deeply aware aware of God in your life, that it will dramatically affect your decisions, your morals, and your ethics, both privately 
and publicly. And when you're keenly aware of God in your life and it affects those areas of your life, it will, trans- it will transform your lifestyle. How could it not? Right? I mean, I mean, if you know God's there at all times, it, it will absolutely uh, transform your lifestyle. When I was a teenager, um, I will remember seeing this movie, and I really liked the movie. The, the movie was great, and I was like, oh, this is such an awesome movie. And I totally did not remember a specific scene in that movie. Have you ever had that happen where you're watching a movie, and, um, and then you're like, oh, I'm going to watch this with my dad or my mom. And then you watch it with you're like, oh, my gosh, the language in this movie is terrible. And I totally didn't remember any of that, but now I remember it. Well, I'm with my youth pastor, and uh, I'm like, hey, let's watch this movie. And there's a couple of guys there. And so I suggested the movie, and I was a, a senior. I was about to become a leader in the youth group. And uh, so I throw in, we go to Blockbuster, remember Blockbuster? Like when they actually had those before Redbox murdered them. And, um, and I grabbed a VHS cassette tape. Some of you don't know what VHSs are, yeah, you GCU students, but I don't even know what that means. Like, what does that stand for? But, but was, so I grab the, I, I go to Blockbuster, I grab the movie, and, um, and then we all sit down at my youth pastor's house, and I pop it in, and we're watching it, and this scene comes up, and it was uh, not a good scene, and I remember being like, oh my gosh, <laughs> and so I run up, and I hit the eject button, because it was too old school to even have remotes yet, and so I pull it out, and I'm like, I'm so sorry, I totally didn't remember that that scene was there, and the truth is that, I, it's not that I didn't remember that scene was there, it's that I didn't consider that that scene isn't something I should be watching. Isn't it amazing, the power of presence? power of presence in our lives, the power of knowing that my pastor, my youth pastor, was right next to me. And he was witnessing because he was actively involved with all of my activity. And a few months earlier, my, my standards and my morals were down here, but now I'm with my youth pastor, I'm in the presence of somebody, and all of a sudden my morals and my standards are, are way up here. And that's how it is with our father our Heavenly Father, when you realize that He's there with you at all times, please understand that this relationship that you have with God, uh, the power in that relationship is not because of your ethics or your morals or because of some resolution that you made at the end of 2016 to do something. There is no power in that. Just because you make a resolution and you try and do it on your own, you think the power is in the resolution that you made or the ability to stop looking at that or stop doing that thing and not giving into that. If you think that is on yourself, you're going to fall on your face probably come the end of January, maybe the 15th. You want to go to the gym and you're like, I'm just going to go to the gym because I have discipline. And then by the 15th, you're like, yeah, that was a good idea, but I'm not going to do that anymore. So what Paul's telling us, you can't, you can't approach your relationship with God like that. Because the power to live like the new you that you already are is not self-discipline. It's a keen awareness that he is right there. And it'll change the way that you talk. It'll change the things that you do publicly. It'll change the things that you do privately. Where a few months ago, you had no even consideration that maybe you shouldn't be doing that. 
And once you realize that God is there with you, that he is standing, that he is actively involved and desires things for your future, then it brings you up here. Not because of what you've done. Not because of what I've done. I can't take credit for turning on th- off that movie. The reason I turned off that movie was because I realized it was bad because somebody was there that was raising up my standard. And there is no one greater to raise up your standard than Jesus Christ himself. And when you look back at your life and, and people look and say, man, your business ethics were on point. Your family devotion was the best I'd ever seen. Your willingness to fight temptation was beyond what I could ever imagine. The only way to maintain that style of life and that dedication, that even discipline, it's not because you made a resolution. It's because you are in his presence and you constantly reminded yourself, not of the knowledge, but of the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And God the Father. Because I can't do ethics for ethics sake. And I can't do morals for morals sake. Morals and ethics, they never save anyone. For me, it's just this awesome understanding and revelation that I have a God who came down to earth so that I could relate to him. Who is full of love. Who wants to be involved. Who has compassion. Who has grace. This is what Paul is telling to these people who are in Ephesus. Who have lived always based off of a God who stood far away but then came down and beat them if they did things wrong. And God is so much the opposite where he wants to be involved in your life. And we no longer operate out of fear or because something bad's going to happen to us, but because we know that the ever-present God is in our lives, and He loves us, and He cares for us. It's not about what you do. It's about what He's done, and the fact that He is with you, and He says, I will be with you to the end of the age. The reason that's so powerful, not so that you know there's somebody just next to you that, that that's going to take care of you, but that you know that He's there loving you, involved in your life, and He will always raise your standard of living if you allow Him. And in conclusion, I, you know, this Ephesians chapter, um, chapter 1 is so interesting because the whole thing's about getting more God. Like getting God, more of Him, understanding more about Him. And it, and it occurred to me when I was reading verses 3 through 14 because it talks a lot about sovereignty and control. And, and the Bible says that God knows what we ask before we ask it. And I don't know, like for me that's not really motivation to pray. Like, oh cool, you're predestined us awesome like you already know what's gonna happen great thanks a lot why do i even need to pray like this doesn't make sense to me like why is paul saying this and he's like now pray like what like you just gave me the least motivating reason to pray in the world or or maybe you pray and you're like i don't even know what to pray about like i want to pray for stuff but i shouldn't pray for stuff i should pray for what you want so lord i pray that you would help me want what you want and not what i want because what i want is bad but i want what you want and uh, Oh my goodness, like, I'll I'll just stop. Paul is saying something about prayer, this idea of knowledge. And and what I think, when I see a picture of prayer, um, it's sort of like, God, I want more of you. I want to know who you are. It's almost like, like, I I don't know, I'm a hugger. I, I like hugging people it's awkward sometimes but and if people stick out their hand i'll shake it but uh, if you know me and i especially i haven't seen you for a while it's just like oh like yeah like just right there like my my daughter when 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 i hadn't seen my daughter for a while 
this morning, like, it was so amazing. Like, she comes into our room, and she does this thing where she goes, whoever I see first, I'm going to hug. And I got to be the first one she saw. I was like, yes, this is awesome. And so, like, I'm putting on my shoes and getting ready to come here this morning. And she, like, just looks at me and smiles, and I'm just like, oh, like, yeah, like, ah, that's, that's so great. And I was thinking about that and, and this idea of, of, of prayer and how Paul says it's about really knowing and, and experiencing God. And, and it made me think back to when I was in um, Hawaii with my wife. We were there about six months ago. And we were on Facebook with my, with my daughter and my son. And I could hear her voice. And, like, I, I could talk to her and I could even see her. But it wasn't the same. It wasn't the same as having my little girl in my arms. And I think a lot of times we'll, we'll talk to God and we'll be able to see or understand or, or we'll, we'll, we'll maybe even see something happen or we'll be reading the Bible and, and we think that's what prayer is all about. But Paul tells us that it's about so much more than just knowledge in our head. It's about being in the embrace of a loving Father. And I just pray that as we go into 2017 and there's times where we don't feel close to God, there's times where we're just trying to do work so that we can feel closer to God. And what does Paul say? He says, just pray. Pray that you would you have wisdom, but that you would just be in his embrace, that you would know him more. How do you do that? You make space for it. When you're driving, when you're going to bed, before you wake up in the morning, you're sleeping thinking, can I get up yet? Make a space to just have that, that intimacy with God. Because in those moments are where you will know Him more. Where you will experience Him. Where it's not so much about a list of things that you need, or even help that you need, or or whatever it might be. It's, it, that's good, and you can go there. But first, allow your primary thing to be, God, let me know you. Let me experience you. Let me be in your embrace this morning. And I pray that's where we'll be in 2017. And I strongly believe that God has some amazing things for us. And, and I don't think that God would be having us go through this book if he didn't have big plans for us to be founded in who he already created us to be, in the calling and the plan that he already has for us. Because God has designed you and has intentions for you in this year and, and in this church. I believe that. And, and I think if we want to more, know more and know more about God in an experiential type of way, that, that he will give it to you. And he's going to meet you in your space, in your life, in your um, in your being. And, and, and I just know that this could be the most meaningful spiritual year that we've ever experienced. And I believe that, and I pray for that for us in this book as we walk through the next seven weeks of, of Ephesus and remembering what it means to be transformed by Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me?